So the Nintendo Switch has found that time in its life when it's grown up, and now there are new Switches. Uh, this is a, a terrible transition into saying that there's new Switch hardware. Uh, the system as we currently know it is getting a minor refresh to improve battery life in handheld mode. So that's like the current Switch. This is the less interesting of the two pieces of news, but uh, the increase is going to be around two hours. Now, there is a huge range, and there always has been with the Switch. The current, now current battery life that is estimated to get last year between four and a half to nine hours. This depends on the game you're playing. So games that are more graphically intensive get less battery life, but there's now a two hour range increase on both kind of the low and the top ends of the whole way across, which is really nice. I mean, to be honest, if you were playing like Zelda, you've just doubled the amount of time that you can play the game. Uh, which is wonderful. Uh, it's expected that Nintendo have achieved this by updating the CPU and memory in the Switch. That's just due to some other like leaks from reporting bodies and stuff like that. Um, this is by no means a Switch Pro that I think many people were expecting. Uh, uh, it is unclear if we're going to see anything like that from Nintendo in this generation. I think that th- we will not now, and the 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 a big change will come for Switch. Two, which will probably be, I don't know, 2021, maybe? Or yeah. holidays 2020? I don't know. Yeah, the Switch came out in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. In spring 2017. So, I don't know, 2020 feels a bit too early. But then again, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it seems like Nintendo... You know, they're pretty happy with how the Switch is doing. Uh, they're constantly, I think for a few months now, they've been outselling the both the PS4 and the Xbox. Oh, it's been a long uh, time. It's been a long time now, so uh, I don't know. Uh, this is definitely not a Switch Pro, and I'm currently debating, this is a discussion that we can have in this episode, I'm debating whether I want to upgrade to this kind of, um, you know, to another to get this improved Switch, so I get more battery, and I get, I don't know, maybe better frame rate in games, stuff like that, um, and use my old Switch. I don't think it's more powerful, really. I, yeah, I don't think... Maybe we'll see something along those lines, but then again, it's mostly the battery, really. Um, I'm waiting for the Digital Foundry uh, video breakdown of like the super technical comparisons between the two. But m- basically, my thought is, do I want to upgrade to this um, you know, in better battery life version and use my old switch as the you know as the backup for other times or is it better if i keep my switch at home and get a switch lite for portable and still you know better battery life i guess i don't know i'm very confused at the moment as to do i even want to get a second switch it's also a question like is there a need for me to get another switch I don't know. Uh, we'll get to the Switch Lite in a minute, but I personally am not... I, I don't play with my Switch in handheld mode enough to justify right. this. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they doubled the battery life, you know, but like an extra two hours, it's not enough for me. Like, I think I've only one time been playing my Switch in handheld mode and the batteries died on me and the whole time mm. that I've owned it. And also your hands died on you. Well, almost. I use a pro controller though, right? right. So I, okay. when I travel, I actually don't bring any Joy-Con. I just have my Switch in a case and a pro controller. I put it in my backpack because I have one of those little fun cases that turns into a stand 
You know what I'm talking about? I'll yes. put a link in the show notes because people will want to know what I'm talking about. But it's one of these cases that like has a built-in stand on it so I can play it. Uh, so I just stand it up and then I use a pro controller. But it's called hybrid covers, typically. Mm. And also, you know, I we all went to such lengths to get batteries that could charge them. Yeah. As well. So <laughs> I have one I of know. those. Looking back at the rumors, though, it does feel like we should have seen this coming. Like, what were the chances that, as a, uh, you know, when we were talking when we we're talking about Switch Pro, some folks were expecting Nintendo to just drop a Switch capable of 4K. Some people were expecting HDR output. Other, I've seen other folks speculate, oh, maybe if they do a Switch Pro, they can finally enable VR. And I think people have sort of become accustomed to these mid-cycle upgrades in this generation with the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X. I just don't think it's what Nintendo wants to do with the Switch. Because all those features, I bet they're going to save for a Switch 2. So it's yeah. going to do 4K, HDR, VR, and all that stuff. So that was maybe a little, you know, too much of wishful thinking for some people. The what they've done here, I think it makes perfect sense for Nintendo. Traditionally speaking, this is exactly what Nintendo does, the Switch Lite, which is going to talk about in a few minutes, but this one, you know, better battery life, it's not a Switch Pro. There will be and I'm really curious to see what Digital Foundry and others discover in terms of performance if there's any kind of improvement, especially in games like Mario Kart or Zelda. Um, but yeah, this is not the Switch Pro, so I'm probably I'm gonna say I'm not interested in this one. Still, good news for people who don't have a Switch yet, because now you get a you get a slightly better base version. So what Nintendo have done is what they tend to do: they have released a cheaper version of their current hardware, and that is the Switch Lite. So this is a rethinking of the Switch for handheld-only usage. Uh, they've cut the price as well, which I'll get to in a bit. So this version of the Switch, its main lacking feature, I guess, is that it cannot be docked to a TV at all. Right? You cannot do it. Um, it is, it is handheld-only. Uh, the Joy-Con are not removable. It doesn't have Joy-Con. It just has mm-hmm. buttons that are in the Joy-Con pattern. Um, and it also features a traditional D-pad on the left side. Yes. It is lighter than the original. Yeah, so so basically what they did, and I like that Nintendo did this, because Joy-Con have buttons where a D-pad would be. And they did this so you can play two-player, right? Because yep. then you have the buttons that you need. As you, know, you have a stick and you have buttons. Because a stick and a D-pad would suck as buttons. So they kind of worked it out. But what they did instead with the, with the light, because you can't take them off, it is only one set of controls for one person now. Put a D-pad mm-hmm. on it. And they did that. Um, and you can buy Joy-Cons from Hori, I think, with a D-pad on them, and they're officially licensed. Yeah, I have three of them. I have. <laughs> they used to have a really bad bug initially until Nintendo issued like a firmware update. The, the, the those Joy Cons, if you left them plugged into a Switch, even if the Switch was sleeping, they would drain the battery of the console. Thankfully, that was fixed yep. in about a month or a couple of months. So all good. I have three of them. I have the Mario Edition. I have uh, another blue one, and I think I have a third one that I bought because I'm not sure why, but I have a third okay. one. So yeah. It's about as good a reason to buy as any. I guess. So, so, you know, sometimes I buy things and I forget, and then they arrive, and I realize I bought a couple of them. So it's like when I bought three switches. 
well, <laughs> there was another <laughs> that that was like a, a different motivation. That but, was uh, a, there was a strategy. The strategy worked. It was it was a good strategy. I was happy with my strategy. Mm-hmm. It has no kickstand, right? Uh, because you can't attach the Joy-Con, so it's not right. as useful in a kickstand mode. It is apparently lighter than the original Switch. Um, it is actually smaller as well, which I did not know. I only mm-hmm. found this out today in doing my research. Um, so the screen is smaller. The screen is 5.5 inches instead of 6.2 inches. And the overall size is about the same size as if you take one Joy-Con off of a Switch. Now, mm. that's mm. kind of the footprint of the Switch Lite. Um, this makes way more sense to me that it is lighter and smaller because when I heard this about this news initially, I was like, okay, I mean, the Switch is a handheld console, but it is not like a handheld console, right? Like, right. I understand it as a handheld console because I can also plug it into my TV, right? But when you think of it as a like a handheld console on its own, own like if we're thinking about it as a ds it's a little bit too Mm. big for that but now i'm like okay we're getting more towards what i would expect in size and maybe weight Mm. here right so i think that that is a Mm. that that is that's a good that's a good call that they've made there i think that definitely helps uh in pitching it as a portable console but i also think that the switch has been so successful as a as a sort of a hybrid console with a portable mode because i feel like as a species we've moved away most of us from the idealistic scenario where you can store consoles or devices in your pockets like i feel like with the, with smartphones and especially since smartphones have gotten bigger i feel like most of us have given up on the idea of, oh, this device must absolutely fit in my pocket, otherwise I will not buy it or carry right. it with me. And instead, we just use bags now. Adults. I feel like, you know, yeah. We're thinking about this from an adult's standpoint. This is 100% focused at kids, this, this mm-hmm. machine, right? And well, I think I agree with you, like from my perspective, the Switch is, I would want a bigger Switch, honestly, in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're thinking about it from kids, I think that making the device smaller and lighter and more handheld and focused is, yes. is a good idea. And I think that's what they're going for here as well. There is no HD rumble. There's no IR sensor. You can mm-hmm. connect standalone Joy-Con to add those features for a game specifically if you want to. So you can play with Joy-Con in your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, it has what Nintendo is saying is slightly better battery life than the original. So let's assume the same. Um, and comes in three colors, yellow, gray, and turquoise. Super mm-hmm. interesting colors. Weird choices as you're only three. Not, not bad, but it's just like... All right then, yellow, gray, and turquoise. Like I like those colors, but like, how did you decide on those three? But they did. Um, there's going to be a Pokemon edition, which looks amazing, uh, and it, it launches on September 20th for $199. And that's it, kids. It's $100 less than the standard Switch. They are not changing the price of the standard Switch. You can now get a Nintendo Switch for $200 before Pokemon, before the holidays. That is why this product exists. Yeah. Um, the more you talk about it, the more I'm convinced I'm probably going to get one. Let me explain. That's not what I was going for. Let me explain. I'm not a kid, obviously, but I think that I'm young at heart in spirit. And therefore, this product appeals to me because it's got a D-pad, which I vastly prefer to the buttons on the Joy-Cons. Um, it's lighter, so it's going to help when I'm playing in portable mode. 
uh, doesn't have HD rumble, which is a big deal for me because HD rumble bothers Sylvia when I'm playing at night. It also bothers my dogs because they think it's like a bug or a mosquito doing the, you know, the zzz, that noise of the rumble. Well, it's more of a melodic sound, right? It, it doesn't sound like a rumble as much all, as it's like yeah, but a, all, yeah. yeah, but all kinds of vibrations. Uh, you know, mm. I have to disable vibration in the DualShock, in the Xbox controller, and also HD rumble, even though it feels like a tap, because it makes a noise, especially when it's night and it's mm -hmm. super quiet. You can hear it, and it bothers Sylvia, and it bothers the dogs. So this is great news for me, because I don't have to remember to disable it. Better battery life. Only downside for me is a slightly smaller screen, but then again... The overall console is lighter, so that's going to help on my wrists. I think I'm going to get one and actually use it as the portable switch and leave the other switch constantly docked and connected to my TV. But it all comes down to the next point in this discussion, I guess. How do you manage multiple switches associated with your account and your game save data? It's a very good point, and uh, I read an article on CNET by Scott Stein, who had some time with uh, Doug Bowser, everybody's favorite Nintendo executive, and Bowser told CNET <laughs> that he really <laughs> wants to get Mario. Now, <laughs> Bowser told CNET, you will have the ability to transfer between devices your gameplay experiences. More to come on there, but that is the intention. That is the worst yeah. quote of all time because yeah. it says everything and nothing. But it at least means that Nintendo, I think, are maybe a little bit more aware now that people might be using multiple Switches because they've kind of given a reason. Like, if you were using multiple Switches before, that was your own weird decision, right? Like, th it doesn't make it's any like, sense. It's like folks who use multiple Apple Watches. You're the weirdo, but it's possible. You are the weirdo. Yeah, you can do yeah. it, but you're a weirdo in that point because the product is made in such a way that you don't need to do it. And I'm talking directly mm -hmm. to you, Federica. Okay, but, like, right, but the Switch right. is like the product is made in such a way that you should never need to do this. But when you bring in a new unit which has advantages over the original, right? Like it has actual advantages. It is smaller and lighter. And for some people that is an advantage. Um, then maybe they need to think about this. Shahid, as a parent of young children, who this console is probably more aimed at, is it compelling to you as a parent, like a hand, more handheld focused, smaller, lighter switch? Well, it's utterly predictable. We said this was going to happen you two did. years ago. Uh, well, I don't remember who said it. Some, definitely we said it on Remaster a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. but And it's not rocket science. It's predictable Nintendo. What we said was, it's unusual for Nintendo to have created this mixed-mode device. It's un unusual, and that's why it's found its place in the market, because Nintendo are, sometimes pull off unusual brilliantly, and sometimes they don't, and this time they did, and they, they did it spectacularly. I remember you very clearly outlining the plan that they have followed, which was, and I didn't see it at the time, you were saying all of the advertising is focused... Yeah around like playing it at home right and then taking it on the go yeah because i mean you could see that the specs weren't amazing mm -hmm. not that it matters they have all the software right they had they had the marketing absolutely right so they captured the market it was very very imaginative but it, it was just down to the pricing wasn't it because it wasn't a typical nintendo price point it was the Nintendo price point for an expensive console, which they hadn't done. I mean, they hadn't done anything this expensive. Uh, having said that, I don't remember how much the Wii U cost because I skipped that generation. 
but the Wii was what when it came out? 279 US? Um, I can't remember, but this was more, right? So definitely in home console territory, but with hardware that was definitely kind of, at the time, top flight mobile. They even, if you look at the mobile devices now, of course, they, they blow this away. But yeah, it was, it was very clear that's what was going to happen. At some point, they would bring the price down. At some point, they would do something that was appealing for kids and it would be a portable. But that's what Nintendo do. And the marketing will switch. I mean, you, you've seen the colors. You talked about those and a nice little uh, reference to play date with the yellow, uh, which I, uh, I don't know if it was deliberate or not. It's a nice color, that yellow, isn't it? Let's face it. I can't believe that we have not spoken about Playdate yet. It is in I my know, notes for us to spend time talking about that, but I, I kind of want more details before we get that really dive yeah, into it. I agree. I agree. There's there's too little that we know about it. Yeah. But I would ask you one question, both of you, and that is around the announcement of Playdate, that was like a that's a black and white boutique handheld. That's not aimed at youngsters, but it's got a youngster kind of look and color, right? That's got a nostalgic look and feel to it. Yeah. So it's aimed at adults, right? Yeah. Like it, it's got, the kids would, would hate it. <laughs> it's just like, what is they wrong would. with this thing? <laughs> Where are the colors? It hasn't got a touch screen and it's black and white. Uh, but I think it's, yeah, that is more aimed at adults, I think, for the nostalgia reasons. Wait, you got to wind it up to charge it? Oh God, please don't, please don't start that. I can't, <laughs> can't have those, uh, that conversation was wild. Let's hold uh, this conversation. I think that this shows Nintendo are very aware that the Switch is kind of a maturing uh, product line. I think they're doing what they do, right? Revamping and molding the line. Nintendo are still, as you can imagine, like they are not saying that this is the end of the 3DS, but I think this is the beginning of the end of the 3DS, right? Hmm. Like it's got to be. It's got to be well, at this I'm, point. I mean, at some point, you know, you know why the 3DS is still around, right? Yeah, it it has a unique price point. Yeah, and it's only when they can get the switch down to one thirty US or ninety nine US. Don't know if we'll ever get down to ninety nine. If you can get down to one thirty US, then there's no need for the three DS mm. except for nostalgic purposes. It's just a price positioning thing, right? I feel like there's a there's a fascinating parallel between what you just mentioned about um, the, the, the 3DS and Nintendo being able to drive down the price to, nine, to $99. Uh, when you consider when Nintendo, for example, did it with the 2DS and we got all kinds of people and, and you know, comments saying, oh, Nintendo is doing a 3DS without the 3D screen, so they're taking the main feature out of the product so that they can make it cheaper. And now we're seeing these comments again with the Switch because there's people saying it's a Switch that does not let you switch between play modes. So why even call it a Switch? But this is ex exactly what Nintendo does. Um, even, even if it requires... This is when a brand name kind of becomes more than yes. what it originally represented. Yes. Now, Switch is just Nintendo's console. doesn't matter what it meant. It's just a library of games yeah. for that console. Yeah, and it's on a screen about that size, and you can hold it in your hands, and it's got buttons like this, and it's like it, it is now it's a set of features, and the Switch Lite has some of those. Like, what what, do you, what are you going to do, right? All right, like, okay, I understand the argument that people are making. What to give it a different name? How confusing yeah. would that become? Right, right. Oh, it's called like the Blade. Yeah, you know these these people who make these comments are presumably the same people 
who expected or wanted Nintendo to bring out a 4K version. They yeah. completely missed the point. Mm-hmm. And I suspect they're not even Switch customers. And I don't know if they were ever going to be. I mean, very, very few of the core Nintendo audience really cares about whether they do a 4K Switch or not. I don't really care. <laughs> right. And it's like, I mean, no offense to Nintendo, but like, what games? <laughs> what games am I going to want in 4K? And what right. are you going to show me? <laughs> like, ooh, 4K Mario. Like, I'm sure it'll be great when it arrives, but like, I yeah. don't care. And we'll wait, right? Yeah. And when it comes, fine. Especially like, if you if you play handheld, what do you what do you need 4K for? Like, let's be real about this. Like, I expect the next Switch, the next big Switch, to have 4K because it just probably will. In the same way that the mm-hmm. Wii went to HD, right? It was just like probably doesn't need to, but eventually we're going to have to do it because it's going to start to become more of a problem than anything else. But the idea of them doing it now always seemed a little peculiar to me. I expected. A revision. Uh, I, I honestly, I expected the next revision to the Switch to be some kind of physical uh, revision, but not the light. I meant like the the regular one. I thought they might have made it thinner, or they may have made the screen bigger before they did a 4K thing. But doing the battery thing, I can also be like, yeah, okay, I can see that as your thing that you want to do. I would have expected to see the price change a little bit, but now they've brought out the Switch Lite. Of course, they're not going to do that, right? Because the price change is the Switch Lite. Um, and this is one of the things that is different, I think, to PlayStation and Microsoft, where Nintendo, instead of changing the price and bringing out a new version, so like like they, they have not changed the price and they brought out a new version, where Microsoft and Sony are more akin to just, like they will take the current unit, they will make a change to it and make it cheaper, and then bring out a more expensive version to take the place of the original, right? That's kind of, you see that with like the PS, the PlayStation Slim, and then the Xbox One S. Uh, but Nintendo kind of do it opposite, where they're like, or they have done it this way, and they've done it this way in the past. The original thing stays. Here's a new, cheaper one. <laughs> it's like, I love you, Nintendo. You just you do you, man. I'm I'm all about it. But it's 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 an interesting mm-hmm. way of doing things. But they had somewhere to go this time, and they haven't in the past. They were able to remove a feature that not everyone wants, and by everyone I mean kids. Yeah, kids don't necessarily want to be sitting in front of the the telly. And 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 my guess is this is not necessarily just for kids. You know, uh, I know Federico's talking about getting mm-hmm. one as well. There will be part of Nintendo's core audience that want this. But yeah, of course, it's kids that are primarily driving it, or rather the parents of those kids. I suspect that some of us parents would really, really like to get the Switch back at some point. And for that reason, going back to your original question, Mike, would probably be interested in getting one of these Switch lights to get that original one back, because I kind of lost the TV a while ago. Oh man, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of parents that are going to do exactly that. Right. Like, it's just like, I either want my Switch back or I want to be able to watch television again. Here is a Switch Lite for you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I'm forever saying, why don't you play it in handheld mode? Why don't you play it in portable mode? Nope. Want it on the big telly. (laughs) Oh, well, now the Switch doesn't work on the TV. Right. So there you go. All right, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea. Squarespace have all of the tools that you're looking for. They have beautiful, award-winning 
wonderfully designed templates to let you show off your fantastic ideas to the world. They give you the ability to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and they have so much more. They're an all-in-one platform that will let you put any website that you're looking to make online. They have nothing to patch or install or upgrade. They take care of all of that stuff so you don't have to. Squarespace has got it covered, and they have you covered with 24-7 customer support as well. So if you need any help with anything when you're setting up your site, when you're running your site, when you want to add new features, they have a support team right there who are ready and willing to help you out. Whoever you want to make an online store, a portfolio, or a blog, Squarespace can help you do it. They have everything that you need to get your project online, and you can try it out for yourself right now. Go to squarespace.com remaster, and you can sign up for a free trial and build your website so you can see exactly how it's going to run. Then, when you want to set your website out to the world, their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show when you go to squarespace.com remaster and use the offer code remaster at checkout. So that is the code remaster at squarespace.com remaster to get 10% of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, so we were talking about uh, revisions, console revisions today. So, gentlemen, I would love it if you could tell me uh, about mm. some of your favorite and maybe not so favorite product revisions um, from consoles in your in your gaming history. Mm. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, my absolute favorite one, I guess it would be from the original Game Boy Advance to the GBA SP. I adored that upgrade. It was incredible. So the original Game Boy Advance, the GBA, came out in 2001. I bought an original version and I imported one from Japan, I think, because I was super into uh, the, the, you know, the being able to get a, a new Game Boy before anyone else in Italy. And so I think it was, it was region free. So I was able to get a Japanese imported unit via my video game store owner slash friend. I was being basically catering to, to my needs since forever. Um, and I used the GBA for two years and I played a lot in my eyesight back then. I was, uh, I was 13, so really good eyesight, uh, which came in handy because the original GBA had no backlighting. So uh, the screen was dim and you needed to be able to play under some kind of light source, but not in, di- in direct sunlight. But we were used to yeah. that, though. We were used to that, you know. What? And no, no Game Boy had had a had, had a light, right? No Game Boy, to, yeah. always. So uh, you know, it was uh, it was fine. Um, I used to have all kinds of crazy accessories that you would snap onto the Game Boy uh, if you wanted to play, like at night, for example. I remember I had mm-hmm. a, a thing that would snap onto the console that had two lights, but also a huge square-shaped magnifying glass. So you will look at the screen through the glass Mm -hmm. of this accessory, but it will also light up the screen. So it was bigger and all lit up, which, you know, it was ridiculous, but it kind of worked. It was was purple and made of plastic and like semi-transparent. It was actually kind of cool. The GBA SP, two years later, came out in 2003, and it completely changed the design of the GBA. So the GBA, very iconic design, you know, with the... I'm not even sure what kind of shape you would call. It was like... Is that a shape? 
It is. I don't think it is a shape that exists in nature. It's not. A, it's not a. You know. It's not a shape. A shape that exists. But it was. You know. It was very unique. Very iconic shape. Uh, the GBASP was a clamshell design. So uh, effectively, two squares connected in a clamshell design that you would flip open and close when you were done playing, and it had a front light integrated into the LCD screen. So it it was no backlighting illumination like in you know future devices, but it was it still allowed you to play everywhere, and that for me became a huge selling point because that console with that design it allowed me to play hundreds of hours of games like Final Fantasy Tactic Tactics Advance, which to this day remains my most played game ever. Or I remember games like uh, the first Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Um, I played with that console so much. It was li- like, and, and I, when I was thinking about it for this episode, I realized it wasn't just a revision, like, uh, like the DS Lite was a revision, or like the Switch Lite is a revision. It fundamentally altered the original design and sort of the original vision. Of it was the a GBA. completely different product. It was completely yeah. new, and it came out two years after the original one. So it's not like it came out five or six years or six years after. Um, it was only two years, and to this day, it is possibly my, my favorite Nintendo console ever. I have my you know my Ooh. fondest video game memories on that console. I own a couple of models because I also bought the NES limited edition. Yeah, uh, they came I got out one of those too. Yeah, that was very, very nice. I think we nice. both bought the one at eBay around the same time. Or at it's least possible. we were talking about it and I did it. Yeah, because yeah. like, I wanted to say as well, like, you picked my favorite here. Like, mm. I didn't own a Game Boy Advance um, because I wasn't really interested in the form factor. I had a Game Boy Color before then, but I went to the SP because that thing is just amazing. Like clamshell design, the buttons like made more sense because they were like closer together there. And they had, this was when Nintendo like really understood uh, the limited edition ones. Like I had a Pokemon Sapphire one Ooh, with like nice. a Kyogre. I think it was like etched. I remember it. that one. Yeah. I had that one. And so like, it was amazing. They really kind of, kind of got it on lock at that point. And that was a, just a, a wonderful, just a wonderful piece of gaming hardware. It, it's easily my favorite Game Boy, like without a shadow of a doubt. Like, yeah, they totally nailed it. They remember the micro. I do remember the micro. I bought a micro, and then I realized, oh, this display is too tiny <laughs> for me. Like, uh, and I don't really have a need to have a super portable console. The micro was really cute. It it photographed really well, and it was such a clever idea if in your life you prioritize being able to put a super tiny Game Boy in your pocket. I bought one, I played with it for like two hours, and then I realized, you know, my hands are killing me. And also, you know, I was getting older, so 15 or 16, and my eyesight is not so great anymore. I'm just going to play with my GBA SP for more tactics, or I think at the time the DS was out. So I was probably just playing with my Nintendo DS when the micro came out. But it was a clever idea, though. It was a you know the type of weird revision that Nintendo does does sometimes. Yeah. Uh, my second pick, and here is where I would like Shahid to uh, <laughs> join me in this conversation. Um, 
the often forgotten fourth revision of the PSP, the PSP Go. Um, the original PSP came out in 2005. It was Sony's response to, you know, Nintendo and portable consoles. It was a big deal, Sony getting into the portable console market. The PSP Go came out four years after the original PSP in 2009. And it, like the GBASP, it was kind of a major rethinking of the entire PSP design and vision. Um, had a new design, uh, slide out controls. So you flip open the console vertically, not, not as a clamshell. You slide it up, you slide up the screen, and you reveal the controls at the bottom. Um, doesn't have UMD disk support. So it's a digital-only PSP. You download all of your games from the PlayStation Store, and you cannot use any physical games with it because there's literally no slot. It has an integrated battery, so you cannot swap the battery and put in a new one. Uh, at the time, I remember um, some people believed that it was Sony's attempt and this may sound ridiculous in 2019, but at the time, there were a few hacks and jailbreaks, if you will, that allowed you to install homebrew and pirated software on a PSP by using a hack called the Pandora Battery Hack, which I know because I did it myself for, for me and a few friends. So Sony uh, eliminated the, the ability to swap up the battery uh, and it also allowed them to make a you know, thinner and more portable console, which was the goal because it was called the PSP Go. Now, the PSP Go was not received well in the market. Uh, the press criticized uh, the effort, said that, it, you know, I remember reading a few reviews that said, design is pretty cool, but also it's maybe a little too late. Uh, the DS has won the portable uh, console war again. And... It was effectively also region locked to a single account because you couldn't just put in any disk that you wanted. You had to associate the console with a single Sony account. And that was not well received by a portion of the customer base. But for me, the PSP Go you know, remains... Yeah, please go ahead, Shade. You know what else wasn't well received? Yeah. Was that... We were charging more than the PS3 for the PSP well, Go at the time. So over, well, over 300 quid. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But let me tell you that for me, this is the one of my favorite revisions because I think the design is super cool looking. I always wanted one. I have a white version and it looks amazing. And also, I didn't buy it right away. I bought it a few years later, I think maybe in 2012 or something, because I was craving Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lions, and my old PSP... So many of your stories revolve around Final Fantasy Tactics. It's my, uh, along with Zelda Breath of the Wild, my favorite video game ever. Um, so, you know... Someday I will have this discussion about Breath of the Wild. It's very possible. Um, I was craving to play that game again, and I bought a PSP Go, and I played for a little bit, and then um, I stopped. And a few months ago, uh, the same craving uh, happened again. So I set it up from scratch, and amazingly, 
you can, if you log into your Sony account on a PSP Go, you can still go to the PlayStation Store, buy games. Actually, I think you need to buy them from a web browser. So I, I think I bought one via Safari on my Mac, but it showed up in my purchased list on the PSP Go. I re-downloaded Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics again. And amazingly, just last week, uh, Retronauts, which is an amazing podcast hosted by Jeremy Parrish, they did uh, an episode about Final Fantasy Tactics. So I've been, I've been listening to that episode. And once I'm done writing this iOS review, that is probably going to be my break. Uh, I'm going to play Final Fantasy Tactics on a PSP Go. All of this to say, super cool looking PSP design. I'm sad that it was not received well. This is the kind of Sony design, weird and futuristic, that I love. I wish that it done better in the market. It was a, a very portentous design as well, because it mm -hmm. was the first digital-only PlayStation console of any kind. And it coincided with the launch of a bunch of software you might have heard of called uh, PlayStation Minis. Do you remember the, the yeah, minis that were only available on yeah. PSP? Well, I don't know if you know or not, but uh, the Minis program sure was program. actually a precursor. No, it wasn't. It's was actually uh, invented by uh, two two great guys, Murray Hume. I uh, love the guy to bits. Uh, he was pretty high up in PlayStation, but he was in another team at the time. And John Booth, I got to run it because yeah. um, the, so so their idea was like, uh, and way ahead of its time, punk. Of video games make something that's really accessible what they didn't appreciate was that i'd come up with exactly the same idea in parallel submitted it to my boss a couple of years before my boss had completely ignored it but both murray and john they worked in business development which is the home of ideas, of course. You have, like, Mr. Evan, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but that should in... be a poster. <laughs> yeah. Business development, the home did, of ideas. Did, did you notice my tongue kind of buried in my cheek there? Uh-huh. So, so that, that, no, I mean, they are absolute geniuses, those guys, both, uh, both Murray and John. So when they suggested that I take this over and kind of help bring some developers in, I jumped at the chance. At the time, we had a couple of guys with us who are no longer at PlayStation, neither am I, of course, but they were helping to bring content in. So there was a nice little team in uh, third-party relations, three of us bringing games in for, um, for, for minis. And it was the first time we'd really dropped the requirement that content needed to go through an approval process. That was a big breakthrough because before then, every piece of content to launch on PlayStation had to go through concept approval of some kind. And that meant achieving a specific score. And of course, if you weren't able to guarantee a certain number of features and um, provide some kind of pitch that was supportive of that, then you would not be able to get onto the platforms. With minis, that requirement was waived. There was a limit of 100 meg on the downloads. It was a really cool little program. A lot of great developers came from that. So when I, I've talked about my story around minis before, so I won't bore our listeners with more of it. But basically, a lot of the um, talent that we approached when I started Strategic Content, which was in business development, the home of great ideas, uh, came from the minis <laughs> program. Um, so 
in many respects, Go was the original platform where we were going to take a chance and open up things to see how it would go. And basically the way Murray and John, I think, uh, I think this is how they pitched it to Japan, was that it was a very limited program. Don't worry, the rest of the ecosystem's not going to be polluted. We'll keep these smelly developers in this tiny little corner and see how it goes. And the reason you pitch, pitch it like that in a corporate environment is because there are concerns that you will lose control over the platform and japan obviously didn't want that of course nothing of the sort happened we've got a whole bunch of minis that also worked on psp not just psp go but psp go was a lever that allowed that program to happen and then obviously the the rest is history so for me i have a lot of affection for go it's a very hard sell to developers but i love the device still have mine mike you're welcome to have mine by the way it just sits in a drawer unused so i'll send it to you i, I loved it because it was just so sleek and cool it's like you remember the nokia was it the 7110 the banana phone oh, yes. it, up? it was like that being well, horizontal or, or format. like the engage the engage right. engage oh Cool oh, <laughs> do, do you know that I think Cable Sasser from Panic yep. either used to or still has an engaged dedicated website? I think he Some? just lost it or let it go oh, or something. I oh, saw no. It. Tragedy. Oh, that's that's too bad. It was quite quite the resource. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it was an incredible design. Do you remember the microphone and the speaker and the engage was on the thin side. So yeah, to hold it, it looked like you were holding a sandwich against your head. There was a Man. there was a like a term that used to describe people talking uh, on the phone with an engage, like um, side talkers or something like that. It was like a fun joke to describe people that used to talk on the phone with an engage. Yep, side talking. SideTalking.com. Really? To- <laughs> this is the website that you that I is think that you might have been thinking about. <laughs> is that the website? Yep. SideTalking. Yep. With a G. SideTalking.com. Damn. That that's the that's the yes that's the website. <laughs> yes, this is exactly what I was referring to. Thank you, mm-hmm. Mike. Anytime. You gotta put it in the show notes because of it's course. really amazing. Of course. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Shahid, do you have any other examples of, of uh, console revisions that you liked? Oh, you know I do. Granddad here is going to go back in time, here we way go, boy. back. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so a handheld console that I really, really, really loved, but didn't get enough love. Do, do you see a pattern here? <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're going you're gonna to mention a console? I thought you were going to bring up from stone tablets to paper. So, <laughs> something like that something <laughs> like that 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 was a big advance actually <laughs> sure was, i remember when that happened <laughs> sure it would have been actually pretty important at the time oh, it was it was huge you should have seen <laughs> <I was there. laughs> no i am i am referring to the atari lynx the atari lynx from back in the late 1980s was a beast of a handheld it was the first proper color thing it had an amazing blitter chip the Blitter was, of course, originally made famous by the Amiga, but this Lynx had one, and you could have trillions of sprites. It was the first proper color handheld. It had stereo four-channel sound. It was, you know, sample playback, BCM. You could have up to 16-player networking, though as far as I'm aware, there was only one game that ever went up to eight-player, and it was using cables. And I read somewhere that um, 
apparently they were planning on doing infra- infrared networking on on the device but they decided to go with a cable because if you walked in front of the beam it would just break the multiplayer so they didn't go with that didn't obviously didn't think that through but for me that the step from the original links which was a beast of a machine not just in terms of its specifications but in dimensions and i'm not referring to the screen either i mean it was a big box of a thing that you held so about the size of a modern 60 percent keyboard it really was that big and with a tiny tiny screen so the screen in proportion would be about the size of the numeric keypad but i'm just talking about width in height it was maybe two rows of keys it's a really small screen so that when they updated that to the Lynx 2 a couple of years later, it was much smaller, still needed six batteries. It still had all of the features. I think the biggest significant upgrade was at the headphone jack. Yes, they had headphone jacks in those days. You remember those days? It was now stereo and not mono, which was decent, but you know nobody really cared too much about that. The real shame with the Lynx for me was that despite it being stunning and despite the links two coming out eventually for 99 bucks which for the hardware spec was ridiculous it didn't get enough support from atari in terms of first party software this sound like a story you might have heard more recently um yeah okay so that i i love that i mean like you guys i loved the um game boy advanced sp and uh pretty sure i bought mine from japan yes i did i was in japan and i bought it in japan and absolutely loved mine i just thought it was really future the whole clamshell thing um even though at the time the hardware was beginning to feel you know i was a developer at the time so the hardware was beginning to feel a little bit dated but it didn't matter the overall experience was just so good that you forgave it everything uh what else was there there was the ps2 when the mm. PS2 first came out, it was a beast of a machine, right? I mean, you needed a, a warehouse to, to call it. Oh, come it. on. Okay. That's okay. Not as, okay. Wasn't not that as bad as the original Xbox. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But, you know, compared with the, the PS1, remember how sleek the PS1 yep. ended up being? Yeah. So all of a sudden, we've moved to the PS2, and it's kind of like this. It looks like a skyscraper with another skyscraper <laughs> sandwich right next to it. Yes, yes. And... You know, you had to kind of stand it up on its side. Otherwise, it would take up the entire space underneath your TV. Um, There were not that many games for it to begin with, but the power potential, the whole emotion engine thing and all of that, and PlayStation 1 having totally dominated the market. Well, PS2 was bound to take over. So when PlayStation, this is before my time there, so I can speak pretty um, neutrally on this. When they moved to the slimline, oh my God, that was just amazing. Because now it was cheaper. It was much slimmer, and it was a yeah. It was it was a lot cheaper, wasn't it? My God, they dropped the price quite a lot on that. But the best thing about it for me was when it came out. It seemed to coincide with a massive upswing in the overall library size. So you suddenly had loads more games to choose from. I actually bought my Slimline in when was it December two thousand and five with. God of War, King Kong, and Resident Evil 4, I think it was. And I thoroughly enjoyed that Christmas, I have to say. Mm. King Kong was a good game, probably ahead of its time in many ways. 
It was underrated, I think. I have yeah. no idea what game you're talking about. It's the game where um, Peter Jackson, is that the name of the movie mm-hmm. director? He had a direct uh, input on the game that was, I remember it was underrated, but I was recently reading an article about it, I think in Polygon, um, how that game, based on the movie, uh, used cutscenes and like interactions between characters during dialogue and like player choices in a way that makes it one of the best um, movie-based games Mm. ever made but also it sort of uh, it sort of was ahead of its time in terms of like all these trends that we see now in terms of like multiple choices and interactions within cutscenes you know this was before games like Heavy Rain for example Mm. uh, Quick Time Events you mean yeah? Quick Time Events yes thank you Um, I love the name of this game Peter Jackson's King Kong the official game of the movie that is the That's name the, of the game. That is the name of that the was game. Yes. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> the official game of the movie. Who but cares? That was the, but that was the deal. Peter Jackson was, you know, no, making Peter King Jackson's Kong. Peter Jackson's King Kong is fine. But it's the official game of the movie. It's like, well, just how, like. <laughs> how else are you going to know it's the official one? You know? You got to put it in there. Say that it's official. It reminds me of a time when I was, I was probably 14. And I was with my parents at like a flea market in the summer. And there, w- there was this, this little stand with a bunch of guys selling pirated Game Boy games. And I had no idea that there was a thing that you could buy pirated Game Boy cartridges. And as I took a look, I saw Pokemon. And this was well before the Nintendo DS, mind you. This was like... 19, no, this was like 2001, probably, or 2000. Um, I saw Pokemon Black, <laughs> and I thought, what is Pokemon Black? It doesn't exist. Pokemon Black would come out years later on the Nintendo DS. Well, it turns out these folks were selling um, custom, like, homemade Game Boy games on actual Game Boy cartridges. So, like, those were not official Game Boy games. Uh, they were unofficial ones made by homebrew developers and you could buy a fake Pokemon game with fake Pokemon and you could pretend to be the coolest kid around because you had Pokemon Black or before everybody else. But I didn't buy it uh, because I thought it was gonna sort of like put a virus in my Game Boy. So that's my story. (laughs) Can we mention disappointing stuff? Yeah, okay. Well, it's not really that disappointing. But I was not totally happy about the Vita going from the original OLED to the non-OLED Vita Slim. I don't know about you, but I was okay with the original being slightly heavy and premium feeling. And although I didn't mind the slimness of the new one, obviously it felt better to be slightly slimmer. But I was happy to sacrifice some of that slimness and lightness for that OLED. That OLED for me was everything about the original device. So although I ended up, and this is telling by the way, although I ended up using the successor, the Slim, more than I used the original, I loved the original more. And the original is still the only version of the device on which I'd play something like Velocity 2X on. I feel like we have a good sense of this, Shahid, but I kind of want to get from from your perspective. Like, 
what are the benefits for companies who actually make the changes? Like, are you hoping to get new customers? Are you trying to get existing customers to buy again? Like, because I also would think that when I see companies reduce the prices of their machines, it goes against my basic understanding of manufacturing, right? Like you get the price down so you can afford the console. Because I know that a lot of game companies, they actually sell the consoles at a loss to begin with. So like, why did why would a, a PlayStation or a Microsoft or a Nintendo want to do this kind of mid-console revision anyway? Well, it used to be the case that you had the, the uh, razors and blades model. But recent hardware has not followed that model. So all of the major manufacturers now are creating hardware at launch with some profit. They didn't used to do that in the old days because they relied on a very long product cycle. They can no longer rely on that product cycle, so they now have to have some kind of margin. It is notoriously difficult to calculate that margin because although you might think that hardware pricing tends to trend downwards, there are variables, and those variables are twofold. In a global market, you have um, currency fluctuation. That can hit you really badly. And yes, there are all kinds of ways of hedging against it, but you can never totally eliminate that issue, and it can really hurt profit. I remember um, a couple of quarters at PlayStation where that had become a serious issue. And the other really serious issue when it rears its ugly head, is the volatility of memory pricing. You remember there was the earthquake in Japan, destroyed a lot of the factories, and for a while, memory was extremely expensive. So those two variables alone, in a volatile scenario, are enough to wipe out any profit. But in terms of why companies do it, why do they change the hardware? It's a number of reasons. The the first is they've got components coming off a production line they do get a little cheaper over time but what they want to do is to ramp up sales again because sales will start to dip you'll have this excitement at the beginning uh, you'll start to build um, a critical mass and then that critical mass will start to fall and before that fall starts to spook the market you release a new device that way you recapture your hardcore audience will buy everything that you make and of course, what, what you'll do is you'll bring in new people who want the new and shiny. They're waiting for the next thing. They're going, should I buy this or should I wait for the next generation? Suddenly, a revision is announced. There's some kind of benefit to it. It's not massive, but it's there. It's enough to convince someone who's been on the fence between generations to say, yeah, now's the time to jump. Interestingly, though, I mean, thinking about component prices, you need to make space in these factories that manufacture these components for the next generation. So there will be this crossover time, and you don't want to miss the boat. You also don't want to do it too quickly, otherwise you don't get maximum profit out of the old, uh, the old chipset. But once those chipsets are gone, they're gone. You know, uh, they, they can become really, really expensive. So it is really a matter of timing. There will be a sweet spot where you're making maximum profit, but because you've got lots of stuff where you can reuse, you can redo the shell and change very little on the inside, or you can change some stuff around but keep the components essentially the same, thus saving space, and you do a new shell. And that's reasonably easy to do. You can drive the price down and also still get as much profit, sometimes even more than you were making on the original device. The original device tends to be over-engineered. 
that's still the case, you know? And they learn what they need and don't need. Exactly. Like Nintendo learned that they don't need HD Rumble and IR because nobody's using it except them. Right. And there was, of course, the situation with PS3. The first version of PS3 had backwards compatibility. And when they replaced it with the next version, they didn't have the backwards compatibility in there with PS2. 